mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling like a dancer. Oh. And when I say <laughs> dancer, I'm kind of imagining myself as a dancer. I mean, I yeah. know when I was growing up, I was very inspired by ballet. And actually, I think today's guest was initially inspired by ballet. But I read a quote that um, he said that, there was something too strict about it or something like that. And what I love about his work when I first discovered it was paintings of dancers. And in a different way to ballet, they are actually very free. There's a kind of a, an energy from nightclubs, perhaps. And also harking back to a kind of classic time. There's a kind of time of when dance was I don't know, romantic and maybe glamorous and stylish and even kind of Latin or tango dancing, forms of dance that, you know, speak to times that have now gone, perhaps, but maybe that we need to bring back. And today's guest has... I would love to see you do a tango. <laughs> we should do it. I would love that. Um... <laughs> I'm not doing a tango with you, mate. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, we should do dance classes or something. That'd be really fun. Um, hmm. And today's guest has also curated the summer exhibition 2023 at the Royal Academy in Burlington House in Green Park. And um, it's really worth heading over there because there's some extraordinary artists works there from the late Phila de Barlow, our dear friend, who was also a Royal Academician, like today's guest. And um, I really personally love Richard Malone's dramatic mobile installation, which is in the kind of main central hall. And even Joe Lysett, who was a previous talk art guest, and Hugh Locke and Tracy Emin and Barbara Walker, Lindsay Mendick, Lindsay Mendick. so many people. Yeah. Yes, and yes. Caroline Walker. So we obviously have very similar taste to today's guest. So we would <laughs> like, we're very, very proud to, to speak to him because he's been working for over five decades. And um, his work is just extraordinary and I hope it, uh, today's episode will introduce him to even more people. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art, David, David Renfrey. <laughs> Hello Robert, hello Russ. Lovely to be on Talk Art. <laughs> We're very, very proud to have you here David. So after your name is the letters R-A which are very important. Well, you are chief coordinator, the curator for the summer exhibition, as, as Rob said, and you are an RA. What does having the letters RA after your name mean? When I was younger, I, I appended other uh, words to them. You know, you can imagine. <laughs> I was very disparaging about the Royal Academy. <laughs> Not just because I couldn't get in it, but I thought it was uh, full of some stuffy people. Uh, we're talking about 50, 60 years ago, you know, it was very traditional in a way, but it has, don't get me wrong, there were still some really good artists in it, but it, it has really moved with the times. We still haven't got enough women in it, uh, despite the best efforts of pe like-minded people mm -hmm. to do that. So even though it was something that you disparaged, you did feel like it was something you wanted to be a part of? N not initially, no. No, <laughs> no, I... I, I really thought it was, uh, I really wanted to be in it in the summer show because I stood a chance of selling work in, in the summer show, but quite a lot of artists refused to be in it. Now I, I'm, I'm honoured to be in it. I was honoured to be in it when I was actually asked about 16, 17 years ago. And, and also, you're not just an RA, aren't you now like a senior RA? Isn't there like a kind of different level, <laughs> which has happened more recently <laughs> yeah. for you? It, it, it's the level where people take your chair out into the forest and leave you. 
<laughs> you have it's to find a, your way back. Yes, yeah. it, it senior means that you're, you're, you're usually not, not so participating in the running of the show. So it, it was an extraordinary surprise to me uh, when uh, Rebecca, our lovely president, rang up and said, I mean, I previously to been in the car a three days before saying to Karen, well, may as well forget about that one. I'll never go to coordinate summer exhibition now. I'm 80. Uh, and three days later, the phone rang and, and uh, it was Rebecca saying, we are hoping you'll say yes to this, but would you like to cu curate the summer exhibition? You can have a few days to think about it. And I said, I don't need three days or whatever. Uh, yes, I'd love to. So, so there you go. You manifested it, David. I manifested it. So what... So what does that entail then, being the chief curator, like coordinator of the summer exhibition? What, how long do you have to think about it? And what is the kind of pressures and the ambitions that you have to have for that? Within 24 hours, I knew pretty much what I wanted to do with it. The pressures are high. It's really rewarding. You get to choose your team. Uh, I wanted more women on the team. I'm not banging a drum here. It's just that we only a third of us are women. But because they're so successful, they've already done it before and or they're having exhibitions in the, you know, Venice or the Tate or somewhere like that. It's hard to get a team. So it's 50-50 this year. And four of the people that I got to choose were new academic, had never done it before. Three of them were new academicians and one had never done it before. So it was a really if I lightly use the word virgin team, but fantastic. And, and the, the, the title that you selected is called Only Connect, and that is from an E.M. Forster um, book. Can you speak a bit about why that quote? Firstly, I love I loved that book. And the, the title came to me within 24 hours of being asked to do it. I think we, despite our ability to communicate with, with each other worldwide, instantaneously, we're more disconnected than we've never ever been. There are, there, there, are, there are more kind of anti this, anti that. I mean, I don't mean people who are against, you know, climate change, or I don't mean that, that sort of thing, but, but people who are against other people because they're different. I'm for the embracing love of humanity, basically. You know, I want it to be very diverse and I want it to be very egalitarian. I really liked the fact that's from Howard, Howard's End. You know, it's this kind of connection with art and literature. And also, even like we mentioned earlier in your work, there's often references to other art forms, even though it is a painting, you know, a watercolour, like references to dance as well. But is, is that something that you're also interested in, like meeting of different disciplines? Absolutely. I don't see a, a walls between any version of the arts, nor any, you know... <laughs> D dances you you mentioned in your intro, Robert. You know about dance. I, I've I've loved dance from from when I was in Hull. You know when I was growing up in Hull. You know, and I used to go to the Locarno. I lost my accent somewhere in the last sixty years. I used to go to the Locarno and, and the various clubs around Hull, and they were dodgy. You know, they were they were kind of like the grounds for you know knife fights, razor fly, all all kinds of stuff. So you didn't really want to be sticking out like a sore thumb with a sketchbook in a corner and not participating. Are you looking at me? You know, uh, uh, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, it was an interesting growing up. I love Hull. I, I mean, I love the people of Hull. There, there, isn't, there are no better people. So you went to Hull College. That was an, that was an art course that you started off at. Yeah, I went to uh, Hull College, Regional College of Art. Actually, 10 days ago, Caroline said, we're going to do a, a one-day trip. Where you're, I'm going to drive to Hull and Beverly, and and um, we went there. And my old art school on Anleby Road um, is now a performing arts dance. Uh, so I've got back into the Northern accent. Sorry, um, uh, and uh, it's not an. It's no longer an art school. You know, it's no longer a painting school. But uh, Caroline's really intrepid. So you know, she she went in the door and knocked. And this guy says. And I, she said, well, this is my husband. He, he went to art school here. I hadn't been in the building for 60 years. Uh, this is 1963 when I borrowed an easel from Hull Art School and, and, and loaded it into a van I'd bought for 50 quid and, and uh, came to London. So that was the first time I'd been in Hull Art School. It was pretty emotional. It went, uh, he said, we can, you can go right up there. And, and there were, 
there were people singing in different, you know, it's coming out as you were going up. It, it, somebody should have filmed it. I know, you know, a backdrop for a daft movie, you know, but it, uh, the life room was, it, go, going up into the life room, which was then empty, was an extraordinarily uh, a emotional thing for me. And the architecture was still the same of the building. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful uh, Victor Victorian building. It's not unlike Camberwell School of Arts, right, right. Uh, in a, only better. Right. And, 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 <laughs> and so you said that you were inspired by dancing then, but you weren't able to dance in the clubs because you might have got stabbed. So did you then work from memory at that point? Yeah, very much so. I've, I've, um, I've kind of a, a pro approached uh, drawing from life and drawing from memory. I'll take a picture from a newspaper. I'll do whatever it takes. But it's drawing. Drawing is my the foundation of it all. And I was lucky because I had a, a drawing professor called Gerald Harding, uh, another northerner, and um, he taught me to draw at arm's length. You know, so so he made me. I was the only one he made do that at arm's length. You know, so so I'd have the 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 pen, pencil out, out at, and and draw sight size. Which is, oh, wow. yeah, it was, it's a. Uh, what was that? So, what does that give you then if you draw like that? What skill set does that build? Well, in well you? He, he said that I, I was, uh, he said, be careful of your, uh, what's it, your facility, David. You know, he didn't want me to be too smart ass about, you know, drawing. I, I had to work for, work at it. Uh, I think it just grounded me. A bit. So, yeah. so did you have like a natural kind of ability to draw? Do you, do you think he maybe spotted that you could already draw, like maybe a bit more advanced than the other students? I don't know about more advanced than the other students, um, but I, I could definitely draw. He didn't want to make me to make it too easy for myself, you know. And was you always drawn to the figure then? Because people come into your work and listening now and the people who know your work, it is predominantly figurative. It has been, and it, it, it probably... It, it, it's always going to be there, but, I mean, I don't have any barriers that I can't jump over and say, and I'm going to do this. So now my work is actually going away from figuration. Is tempor it? Temporarily, you know, I, it, you know. Who knows? And what is, it, what is it, or has it been about figures and figures dancing and interacting that has been... The kind of fascination for you? Well, initially, it's a pretext for um, painting and drawing people in motion. You know, uh, I like things which are slightly off kilter. I like it. So if, it, even if I'm doing a, a painting of so a drawing of somebody, that quite often be, okay, if, the, if you left them like that, they'd fall over. You know, I, I, I like that, that slight discombobulation, you know. So, and also as a medium, watercolour is, is a medium that you've almost exclusively worked in. Did this also come in early on in your student N days? Not at all. I, I actually was very disparaging about it. I thought it was, you know, like a, a, the amateurish thing. I mean, I, I, you know, you're arrogant. When, well, I was really arrogant when I was a student. You know, I, I thought, I, I feel like I knew it all. I, I really didn't know anything. But I think that arrogance, in a way, carries you through to the time when you realise that you're not you know, Goya or Velasquez, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you, get, th but you, you, you had felt you were in comparison to those at I that felt, young age. I, I felt I was a contender. I was I going to be that. a contender. You well, know? You, I mean, you are, but what, what you've created, the body of work you've created and, and, and kind of stayed with your practice has become definitive, has become, like to you, has become really legendary. I'm a legend in my own lunchtime, as a private, I would say. <laughs> um... Watercolor came later on. You know, I was uh, oil is the medium in which I was uh, I was initially involved, and for many many years, I got an illness called sarco sarcoidosis. Sometime I don't know, nineteen seventy something like that, and uh, I couldn't I couldn't move for six months or, or more. And um, when I got better, I uh, I started working watercolor because it was easier. Oh right! So you so you completely froze. I'd never heard of that before. That's... Yeah, it, was, it affects your joints and your respiratory system. But uh, before I got that uh, that little thing, I'd been to New York and and uh, somebody bought a few drawings of mine. And uh, while I was getting better, this I'm diving off into another uh, play. Oh, we so, love so, it. I, I'm, so I'm, I was getting better, but slowly, and I was still, you know, mostly. Uh, 
really slowly working. And I got a phone call from somebody saying, hi, this is Joan Ankrum. I'm, 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 I'm in Los Angeles and I have a gallery. I've seen your work and we'd love to give you an exhibition. And I thought, if I say I'm sick right now, you know, I know I, the thing in my mind is, is that Americans have no patience. <laughs> so, so I said, that, that would be fabulous. Thank you. You know, yeah. When? She said, well, we were thinking about spring, blah, blah, blah. And, and I said, yeah. Be my, and I, as I got better, I was working towards this, this, this show in, in LA. And um, when, when I took the, I made a, made a portfolio and um, managed to get it on the plane, they wanted to put it in the, you know, I wouldn't let it go in the hold. I had a big fight to get it on the plane itself. And it was, it was massive, you know. And I, uh, when I got there, I thought, wow. I got a ta- did I get a taxi or I did I hire a car? Anyway, it, one way or another, I got into LA and uh, they were supposed to meet me at the gallery, but the gallery was locked up. And um, so I thought, oh, what the hell am I going to do? So I walked up the road to Sunset, Sunset Boulevard. I found a motel and this woman was sitting there behind a grill and she had a, a pistol on the grill. And, and I said, um, do you have a room? She, she said, yeah, yeah, uh, so, so far. And she said, oh, by the way, put a chair by the door handle when you go in there. So I thought, oh, shit, you know, this is... Uh, but when I woke, woke up, this is, I was in um, what they call Boys Town, actually. And when I, got, I looked out the window and there was, um, there was a sports car and there were, there were four guys in it. And two guys jumped out, kissed the guys in the car, and the car sped off. And I thought, God, this is amazing. This could never happen in, in Britain. This in is Hull. amazing. This <laughs> never in, happened in, in Hull. In, yeah. <laughs> well, not in, no, probably not. <laughs> so that, that show was 1980. And what was it like then for you going from, you know, the UK to Hollywood, essentially? Like... It was a dream, actually, because um, the show sold out before it was e- even on the wall. They put, they put the, um, the works on the floor to choose the mouldings of the frame because uh, Joan Ankrum said, they, well, nobody in, in uh, Hollywood buys anything unless it's got gold leaf around it. So, you know, so I had to choose these horrible mouldings to get around. Anyway, it sold out. And Sidney Poitier was at the moment. He said he wanted something. He said, I'm going to have to meet you off the plane next time to buy something. And I thought, Jesus, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a dream, you know. I met, um, oh, Vincent Price and Coral Brown. And Coral Brown said, I've got a friend you'd, you'd love to paint her. She's got a face like a marmoset. And she meant Joan Rivers, so I got, I got to paint Joan Rivers. Yeah, yeah. So was this, was this the first time you were making money from selling your art, like it, seriously? It, it was the first time I was making serious, serious chunks of it, yeah. And it was good. It felt really good. What, what everybody knows uh, about you, who knows you, is that you are one of the residents of the Chelsea Hotel for, for many years at a really kind of formative time through the 90s, through when New York was so rough and scary. And you're talking about LA where you were then terribly scary. You have to put a chair behind the door in case someone tries to kick it in. Can we talk about, you know, the, the impact of America on you, you and your practice, but also the Chelsea Hotel, like the, the, the legacy of this? It's really weird that I, I turned to America rather than Europe, where, where the center of painting culture arguably is. You know, the, the impact was enormous. New York is, I, I just fell in love with it. The first time I went there, I thought, geez, this is a fantastic, fantastic place. And uh, I've never felt scared, even when I've been in re- very rough bits of New York, I've never felt uneasy about it. But um, Chelsea Hotel, I was mentioning to, to a friend um, that uh, we were going there and he said, oh, he said, don't ever say I recommended it. But he said, um, yeah, I stayed at the Chelsea Hotel for a couple of years. And um, Stanley Bard, you want to be in touch with Stanley Bard, try, try it, you could try that. So I, I rang, rang Stanley Bard and he said, um, yes, just, just get here. You know, he said, I'll talk to you when you get here. So we got there with 17 pieces of luggage, no reservation. <laughs> and uh, uh, he interviewed me in the morning and, uh, and he said, uh, so David, um, how much do your paintings sell for? 
And I said, well, roughly this, Stanley. And he said, and how many do you paint a year? And then I, he showed us this, this room, which had just been re renovated, which we lived in. And I rented a studio somewhere else. And, and the Chelsea Hotel is actually a hotel. You can stay there for a night, but it's also residences, right? There's, there's so many artists that are, over the years, like famous writers, artists and thinkers like Mark Twain, Dylan Thomas, Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, Patti Smith, Valerie Salonis, who shot Warhol, Robert Maplethorpe, Jack oh, Carew. Honestly. I, it, I, the I, list there, is incredible. It, why? Is it why? recently your friend, Ross, uh, Rufus Wainwright? Rufus Wainwright. Rufus. 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 But what is it about? What is it about that building, and why do people? Why are so many people flocked there? It, it was built originally in the eight, eighteen eighty three, but by, uh, uh, with artists in mind. So the top top floor has got uh, studios. You know, the, the, the studio height ceilings, and um, it's always been friendly to artists, and and they've always they've always gone there. You know, I don't know what it is about it, but it's got a it's very embracing. If uh, my studio hadn't been flooded, I, we'd still probably be there. So is that why you came back? Because you, you went there um, in 1995 and you left yeah. there in 2016. Did, did you leave in 2016 because of the flooding of the studio? Yeah, basically. They wanted us out because it had been, it had been it's a tedious story, I won't go into it, but it, but it, it had been bought uh, by developers who wanted... He wanted the, the people out, basically, so that they could make it into a swish place. I saw a documentary on it called Dreaming Walls, which I think was about this renovation oh. and about how the res residents there were uh, under kind of attack to be like, trying to get pushed out and they were trying to up, up the prices and everything. But I think they've actually, there's a lot of original residents still there. Oh, there, are, there are, I think there are about 40 still there. Actually, the, uh, Ethan Hawke made a beautiful film called Chelsea Walls. I don't know if you've ever seen it. And uh, that was um, back in the day when he was there. I, I haven't seen that one. I've always been struck by it as a location because of the kind of collective creative consciousness that I think is within that that building. And I've always think, thought it's like a really romantic thing on a kind of... Um, almost like spiritual plane or something, as, as mad as that sounds. But I think there's almost like a vibration that happens because so like a much ley great, line or great, something, yeah. great stuff has yeah. happened there, like great creativity. And I think there's something about um, artists all being together in like that kind of community, so closely living, breathing, sleeping, all that stuff. I think that you're, you're right, Robert. I, but I don't know that we interacted that much with one another. I mean, but we, we were, it, the fact that you were there and there were others around you doing the, with the same purpose, if you like, you know, it, it was, was lovely. Ethan lived there for quite, uh, quite a time and, and it, he became a, a pal and, and um, Dee Dee Ramone lived there. Oh yeah, she was your neighbour, right? Dee Dee was uh, one floor down. He had the, he had a, it gave me a tip. He said, if, if you want to, if you, somebody annoys you, he, he pours Coca-Cola underneath their door to en <laughs> en encourage the cockroaches to go in. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did, That's so naughty. Yeah, well, he was, he, he was yeah. very funny and quite naughty. Oh, wow. I, I think there's something about being an artist when it's so solitary, but, but you almost need to be left alone. But it's quite comforting to know there are people on the other side of the walls doing a similar pursuit. Just as mad as you are. Yes. You mentioned um, Ethan Hawke then, who was there, and Ethan Hawke is, has appeared in a series of your works, which mean a lot to me because I have a dog, and these this body of work, which is which sadly is just closed at the Rugby Art Gallery Museum. It was a solo show called um, "We Think the World of You," and it's people and dogs drawn together, and one of them is Ethan and his dog, and it's this amazing. Uh, exploration of this, the relationships that develop between dogs and their owners. And I am one of those dogs and owners and have that absolute, you know, this is, is this is an ongoing uh, series of works that you started about 15 years ago. It's not ongoing, but it, oh. it, 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 it's, it's, it's finite. You have to have a finite thing because otherwise you become the dog painter, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was really lovely. It was never intentional. It was actually started with uh, drawing Alan Cumming, who was in cabaret at the time. And um, I, uh, I met him through Anna Friel, who was in another play simultaneously. Closer. She was in Closer. 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 Yeah. Uh, who's fabulous. We were in the, 
Joe Allen's or somewhere in, in New York. And, and, uh, uh, but I didn't know Alan. And um, she said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll introduce you. So I said, I'd, I'd love to do a drawing of you. And he said, sure, sure. Of course, these things don't happen in, immediately. But uh, an, a mutual friend introduced, reintroduced us and he, and he came to sit for me. And the first time he came to sit for me, it was brilliant because he had all that, all that energy from, from Cabaret about him. And um, the second time he had a dog with him called Honey, who was a rescue dog that somebody had given him. And it just made, it, it, it was a kind of interaction with, with two people, you know, not two people, well, it is two people, you know. The, draw, the drawing process was more enlivened by that. And I, I really loved it. And so through that, we thought, oh, there's, there, there's another guy, another person with a dog. So that's how it, it just grew like that. I think for me, it's this direct communication with another species, which is this kind of miracle I think happens, but you make eye contact. Like I'm, I'm actually looking at Rocky now and I make eye contact with him and he looks at me and I know exactly what he's thinking and what he wants. It's magic. But this, this whole, the, you know, this series, this, the, the Alan Cumming painting is, is, is beautiful. Ethan Hawke, um, there's a collector and philanthropist, Agnes Gund, um, yeah. Susan Sarandon. How did that, how did you get Susan Sarandon? How did that happen? Well, uh, that was probably a, talk that um, Susan was giving and I went to, uh, along to it and she was talking she was talking about being in Italy and she said you know she didn't believe in all this um, people trying to ha have babies she said all you have to do is go to Rome and hang, hang out in, on, on the Spanish steps you know you'll soon get pregnant <laughs> Good advice. Yeah, oh <laughs> something, something, to, uh, something like that. Off, off, yeah. yeah, I'm booking a flight now, David. Yeah, yeah I'm off. <laughs> I am off. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, she was. She's hilarious. She is so subversive. Just one of the funniest and, and loveliest people. When people sit for you, how long do they normally sit? Do you normally finish a portrait? Or, or a work within one sitting, if you have a sitter. I know. I always lie to them because it's always. I know it's always going to be longer than uh, they will tolerate if I say that, say how long it's going to be. Aggie Gunn sat for me for over a year. A year. So how many visits would that be? Oh, about uh, you know probably two dozen. Wow. And then each sitting, how long would that be for? About two hours, something like that. Two hours more, maybe more. No, and I that would be one work, or would that be like a, a series? Well, it'd be little drawings in my sketchbook, and draw, drawing, 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 and, and then something. Then I'll work on larger, larger things. She had two dogs. And what, what do you do then So if the dogs move? Because obviously a human, you can tell them what to do, and they'll do it. And, and you know, if a dog's well-trained, they'll do it to a certain extent. But for two hours, that's no, quite an won't. ask. No, they won't. Well, I, I have a reasonably good memory, but it's, a, it's, it's doing these things over and over again. You get it. I draw dogs in the park. I don't do it anymore. You know, you, get, you can get a reputation. <laughs> but this is um, this this is a book that you made as well. So if anybody wants to buy that, it's uh, we think the world of you, people and dogs drawn together, by David Renfrew. And I think it's available. I think the RA published it, didn't they? I think they it's did. They, they republished it too. Great, right? Everybody run out and get that. It's beautiful. David, I'm really curious. So. You found watercolour as a medium kind of out of necessity because of your then illness. But but is it, it must be so different working with watercolour because isn't it more easy to sort of move around, you know, to travel with watercolour? Because I'm imagining it's smaller, smaller materials to carry around than it would be if it was oil paints. I don't know because I, um, when I'm working, some of the, some of the watercolours that, I don't know if you've got the, the watercolour from the, from the last exhibition, last exhibition, but some of those works are, they can be up to 15 feet across. Oh yeah, you know, they're, giant. They're, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's, and um, so I'm not walk, using watercolor in, in the usual, you know, the ways. I use it quite cavalier, in a cavalier way. I have really virtually no technique whatsoever. You know, <laughs> I use, I let gravity do the work mostly. You know, I, I always work upright. I don't work flat. Oh, so you'll pin paper to a, a like studio wall and work that way? Yeah, I'll put, I've got great big sheets of hardboard and, and I, I, I put them on with clips all the way around and stuff like that. And what does large scale give you? 
And you're saying you've got no, like, uh, like you can't work out the style of what you do, but I'm sure there's other watercolour specialists because you're part of the watercolour society now, surely. Is there people there that go, oh, this is your technique? They tell you what it is. <laughs> no, I, I don't really know what a technique is. I just, I draw that instinctively. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't bother to work out stuff. I, I think early days, I was very influenced by people like Francis Bacon and... Um, Actually, African art w w was a big influence to me. And the German Expressionists were influenced. From drawing's perspective, completely different. Ang, you know, the, the, uh, the line of Ang. And, and also um, Lippi's, Filipino Lippi. My influences are very diverse. Mm. For me, it's always been a feeling with your work. I feel like there's something about the combination of the line in terms of the drawing, but then also the watercolour, and it just creates this this kind of atmosphere or kind of emotional response from me as a viewer. Is that Was there a moment when you sort of were early on using watercolour that you were like, oh, yeah, like this is it? <laughs> it's emotional, yeah. Uh, no, I think I, um, it, I was setting myself a challenge to draw things in this, this particular way. Uh, I, I, just before and just after my illness, and because they were successful, uh, uh, to me, they, they, they weren't satisfying me. They weren't pleased, you know. Um, so I, uh, I didn't move from watercolor to oil at that stage, but I, I made visits to America, uh, encouraged me to paint on a larger scale. Arsh do a lovely paper, which is 640 grams, and it, I can only do it in, in inches, but it's 60 inches wide, which is five feet by about just under 40 inches high. And it, this is a paper brand that you- it's, Yes, it's French and it's, it's, it's fantastic. You can do what the hell you like with it. And this isn't something that's going to run out because so many people fall in love with materials and then suddenly they, they discontinue <laughs> Especially them. paper. Yeah. Yeah. I actually bought uh, the last thousand sheets of uh, J. J. Barcham Green's uh, Double Elephant rough paper because I loved it so much. It, and then it, 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 why I find it crazy that these materials just then won't exist anymore. So no, it all gets discontinued. Oh. They don't exist. I, I, but why? why? Because just because it's cost, costly and there's not enough people using it or what? I don't know. I think sometimes we don't respect our craftspeople. You know, we respect craftspeople from other countries, but not our own. I mean, it's like Wedgwood being not made in this country anymore. I mean, just an example, but there are loads of examples I can give you. Wow. So this large scale, what, what, why did America inspire you to go big? Because America's big, I guess. <laughs> it's all like big, 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 but supersized. But, but why? Because they'll buy it. Because they will they, buy it big. Yeah, they'll buy it big. They have larger spaces to put works and they'll buy it. And I've, I, to be honest with you, I was still doing, I was doing it before I moved to America. There's a watercolour that's going to the, Nash, uh, to the Tate uh, called A Little Night Music. And that was painted just before we went to America. And it's of clubs in England. It's not one particular club. Sorry, but if you hadn't gone America then at any point, do you think your work would have been smaller scale? Well, I, I don't think it would have been as extreme because I've done about paintings which are four or five panels of that size. Wow, it's so good. So uh, that, that's, uh, you know, because I could. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. And what, and what is it like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're a man of 80, to make work on that scale? Are you still working at that scale now? No, I'm, I'm actually flipped back to oil again, you know, so, that, so the, the work in the Royal Academy this year is actually an oil, although it started out as neat little paintings of chandeliers. When I was four paintings in, I realised that it was more than that and it was one painting and growing. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's just so exciting, the, 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 this work. The, the work that you're mentioning that's going to the Tate, so when you said it's more than one club, so it's a kind of like, almost like a collage of different memories from different nightclubs. Yeah, well, I've got loads of drawings, you know, of things and I see people, there's no they creep in, little odd couples, odd things. What you mentioned about dancing earlier, you know, it's a pretext to paint human beings in, a, in an embrace, if you like, and moving. It's a gift, really. I think uh, you're quoted as saying, I would never describe myself as a portraitist, but I'm endlessly <laughs> fascinated by people. Yeah, I think I did say that, yeah. <laughs> correct great right that's that's clear how often are you in your studio david how, what is your rules you've set for yourself eight hours a day um people say you know are you a portrait painter i said i i always think of ray charles and, and he says somebody said to him uh, asked him if he was a blues singer and he said i am not a blues singer but i am a singer who is able to sing the blues so that's how i think about portrait painting <laughs> This eight hours a day thing, it reminds me of a, a story I read about you that when you first came to London um, and, and, and why London was suddenly, you knew that was a destination in the late 60s, you also held down jobs, you, you delivered typewriters and you were a cleaner, but then outside of that, you were dedicated to spending eight hours a day. It's like this eight hour thing has been a constant for you in the studio. Yeah, I don't know why that is, why I picked eight hours and not seven and a half or six, or six. but... Or nine, but it's 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 a sort of time when you can get something done. You know, you know, it's a chunk of time, and you, if you don't do it routinely, I don't know, I don't know what would happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes having the discipline is good, isn't it? Like to sort of set yourself a rule of some kind. It in in the end, it doesn't become a discipline. It just becomes a habit. You know, it's just it's like eating Weetabix if you eat Weetabix. I know I don't eat Weetabix, but well, I'm sure I'm sure it's lovely. <laughs> habit forming, yeah. How have you um How have you rode the ebbs and flows of a career uh, for like fifty years, and also a career that's concentrating on the figure predominantly? Because there, the figure we've. I mean, when I first started collecting, me and Rob first started collecting, it's like the figuration's dead. It's don't dead. collect the figure. Nobody's in. It's all very like geometric abstraction now. It's minimalism, and now the figure is the figure. It's like it's it's back in a big way. Have you really noticed these trends for yourself as a career? <laughs> Have I? <laughs> Uh, yes, you're, you're, you're completely regarded, particularly as you're getting older, you know, you think it, if you're a young figure painter, it's easier because you're, you're seen to be reinventing or, or coming. But as an old git, as an old guy, you know, you're, you're, it's seen as being somewhat uh, reactionary. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really pay attention to what people are saying. <laughs> But you must feel the fashion. You must feel fashionable now because there's such a there's a real attention on on your work and figure suddenly, and it must feel like a renaissance for the figure. I don't know how you could think I could ever feel fashionable, Russ. <laughs> well, hang on, but let's talk about your fashion. He's sartorial. Sense. No, but there's a difference between fashion and sort of st uh, like personal style. And I feel like David's got incredible, uh, precise sartorial kind of integrity. <laughs> you could that's very flattering i could call it just laziness you know i just i just get the same hats from the same hat maker and you know the, actually that i'm ashamed to say these same trousers and you know same jeans rather and they're from rather posh makers but they they fit well and uh, well so it's more like a uniform then it's to go a uniform. to work it's a uniform <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about your trilbies because you have a collection of trilbies. Um, uh, they don't—they're not called a trilby, though, are they? Th this is no. It, it, I don't want to say it is. Or they all rush into to, um, to Bates, but they can all rush into Bates anyway in in, in German Street. 
And you, how many do you have? I probably have about 15 of them. But they're all the same. They're all the same colour and all the same. They're called yeah. a weekender, aren't they? Oh, now you've given it away. Now oh, have I? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Would you need more than 15? Are you worried they're well, going to sell out now? Um, well, they, they, get into, they go in rotation. You don't think, oh, this is getting a little bit knackered now. I'll, I'll, I don't tend to throw them away, which I really should do. Or, you know, but <laughs> they should, they're going to go to the VNA, David. Is, they is should that never throw you, them away. Is that because you love them, though? Like you feel a kind of tenderness towards it? I, I, I think it, it, it's more that I, I find it difficult to throw anything away, Robert. Oh, right. Interesting. <laughs> I, keep, I keep things thinking that this will make, I will make something out of this, like a mm. sculpture or something like that. Or, ah. I never will, but I'm, I mustn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've got to keep the possibilities open. Yeah. Um, and, and also, we were talking about New York and LA earlier, and place is obviously such an important thing for you, you know, alongside the work you've created. Can we talk a bit about London and Kensington in particular, and the 40 years that you've also, you know, spent within that as a location? Yeah, when I came to London, my, my cousins were living in Earl's Court in Hogarth Road, a top floor flat with five other guys, you know, it's just one of those sle sleazy, everybody mucks in and has a space somewhere. It was a big top floor flat. And uh, that's when I got the job. I needed to earn money, you know. So that's when I got the job as a cleaner. The Horseshoe Hotel in, in uh, Tottenham Court Row, which is now the, the Dominion Theatre. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I, yeah, and, and, so, and Ken, what is Kensington? What, why, why did you end up there? I don't know why I gravitated to Kensington. Oh, I, I know about this, because um, I, I wanted to buy somewhere. I'd had, I, got, I got about two or three grand in the building society. I was living in East Dulwich. And uh, I, this a guy who'd been to that first exhibition of mine in, in LA couldn't buy something. And he was the manager of the Grateful Dead. And uh, he was furious that the proprietor, Joan Ancrum, had bought something for herself. He said it was unethical. Anyway, he, he commissioned me to do a nude portrait of his wife. He said, I, I would like you to do a nude portrait of Jessie, my wife. And I said, yes, I'll do that, but she has to come to London. I'm not coming here to do it. So they, they came to London. He had business here as well, you know, and, and uh, they had to come out to East Dulwich where I lived. And um, they were complaining about it, you know, and said, why, why don't you get a place and I said, you know, I can't even buy a place here. I can't get a mortgage. And he said, oh, if you ever need a mortgage, ring this number. And he gives me a card with a number. And ring this number. I said, oh, okay. If you want, and he didn't say a mortgage. If you ever need to borrow money, ring this number. So anyways, I saw this place, you know, Millet's house not far on the other side and, and four rooms, kitchen and bathroom, 49,000. And... I thought, that's perfect light, that's got to be it. So I, I went to the Halifax and uh, said what it was. I said, I, I work out, I can pay it back. And they said, no, because I was a bad risk, uh, self-employed. Anyways, um, so I rang the number and the voice said, how much do you want? And I said, 50,000. He said, what's it for? I said, for, to buy a flat. He said, oh, you can put a firm offer in today. You'll have the whole amount in a bank account in the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank by the middle of next week. And that's how I got started. Is this phone number still available? Is um, this somewhere? <laughs> it, it, it will cost you. I, I, he's, he's not around anymore, but he was a very fearsome person. More guns than I, I, I care to oh think God. about. And you're still in the same property now? You still have that? I still have that now. I mean, it... it it, yeah, I remortgaged after a couple of years so I could discharge his, his uh, guarantee. What he did is he, he put the same amount in a, another bank in Jersey to guarantee my loan. That's all. Wow. And that was 1981. And, and, I, and, I, and I read that you've um, really enjoyed walking within that area. It, it, uh, if you go on walks, does that then inspire like the people that you might see? Do you ever paint anyone that you see like around and about? I sometimes 
do somebody sticks in my mind there was there was a young woman years and years ago that, that always took a black dog out and she she would and you're always hesitant about sort of you know looking like a, a stalker or something like that but she'd always hold sticks up and this dog would jump up for it and it, it was beautiful it was really beautiful she was had always had this black coat on a white uh, shirt you know that uh, which you know she was very stylish in this sort of way um and the and the black dog it was it was just gorgeous so so I'm, i made an, a drawing an etching and a painting of, of, of that you know so that sort of thing happens and she's aware that this happened no she isn't aware <gasps> She made, I mean, if she saw a drawing, you know, she's not aware. She, she, I wasn't near enough to her. I wasn't, I was like, I didn't want her to be self-conscious. Right. I didn't want it to be a posed thing, which is, right. is, is, it does sound as if I'm a stalker. But recently there was a, a young woman sitting with seven swans around her, feeding these swans. And I, I, I actually went to her and said, would you mind if I took a photo of you? feeding the swans and she's she said no she wouldn't let you take she didn't want no, you to she, take no she's no she said yes you could, oh, could. Okay, right. yeah can, can you work from photographs um i can and they're, they're sometimes an aid memoir but i it's they're not um i've got loads of cameras but i never use them can we talk <laughs> about um commissions throughout your career and there's um one in the National Portrait Gallery collection, which is of Sir John Gilgood, obviously the great actor that you made in the early 80s, which is wonderful, but also a commission that you turned down, uh, which is of someone... And, and, and you've actually said it's a, a regret of yours. I'd love to hear about this story of this commission that never happened. Yeah, they, I, was, I was offered... Um, they said, we have... Uh, Margaret Thatcher is available to do. And... I'm not a Thatcherite. I, 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 it, it was at the time she uh, forbade s- school milk. I mean, how could, how could you know, and, and my Thatcher, kids were in... Thatcher, the milk snatcher. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, I, I just don't want to, to... But I wish, with hindsight, that I had done it. Except I'd have missed out on Jean Muir, who I loved. And it's a regret now because the fact that, you know, she's a historical figure in some ways or... I, I guess so. It would have been challenging to do somebody you really don't like. And you've never done that since of anyone? You've never... I, no. I, you know, life's too short. Yeah, but I like that. I like the, the morals. I think that's commendable, David. <laughs> Talking about um, Gene Daft. Moore, <laughs> I know you've also collaborated in the past with Stella McCartney and you did, uh, I really remember it, a really beautiful series of drawings oh. um, for a project you did maybe in the early 2000s. Yeah, actually, before Stella, the first person I did drew in the fashion things was Sandra Rhodes. Oh yes, she, she was she was actually my landlady in in the late sixties, I think, in in Porchester Road. Okay, mm. but but back to the Stella thing. I was in New York and the phone rang, and um, somebody said she didn't want to say who she was because she said she thought I'd hear Ching Ching when you know when. Uh, when she said, but she had to tell me. So, so, so she said, um, I'd like, I've seen a, a drawing that you did in a magazine that my, da- my dad's got. And I have found a model who looks exactly like the, the, the picture in your, um, would you do it? I said, I'll do it if, if, if the model comes to New York. I'm not going to come to the model. So she said, fine. And I think a little while later, maybe a week or two later, she said, the model can't come to New York. I think she may have been, was she from Ukraine? She, anyway, it was after 9-11, you, you, it was very hard for certain groups of people to get visas right. and she couldn't get a visa. So Stella said, I'll put you up in Paris. I'll put you up in London, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I, I said, all right, I'll, I'll do it. So... Um, she put me, I thought Paris, you know, I'll never get anything done, you know, but, but uh, <laughs> uh, she put me up in Dorchester, I think, in Elizabeth Taylor's old suite, which was, had, a, it was enormous, the whole, almost the floor, huge. And um, yeah, the model arrived at 6.30 every morning, went to hairdresser. 6.30 every morning? Yeah, something like that. And, wow. Um, 
and we worked through the whole day for a week or so. And, and that was inspired by a drawing that you'd done in 1972 from the Image magazine. And it was apparently... Oh, on, you've done, you've it done was homework. A, <laughs> it was apparently on the front cover at that time. And Stella had obviously seen that. That's in a, it. In the late 90s. I think she discovered it through her dad's collection of magazines or whatever. That, that's but what... But how so. many... Did, didn't you do a whole series of them? So it was quite a number of drawings, wasn't it? For, uh, for, for Stella? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did, I did, I did a whole slew of them, you know. Mm. And, and actually the V&A had a show of them. I don't know, 15 or so years ago. Is there, is there a book of the, your, your Stella yeah, there McCartney? Is, there is, is, there, yeah. is there? Yeah, Great. I've, I've, I've got that book. All right. <laughs> Next book. It's this, called this Drawings for Stella McCartney by David Renfrey. That's a it's, bit of a it's, it's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's, yeah. Um, so what, what are you working on now then? What, what does, you know, your day look like and what, what sort of shows can we look forward to? There are shows of previous work, work done, but what I'm looking forward to is... is um, Bearing in mind that I haven't had a chance to really get in the studio for about eight months. I mean, seriously. Uh, I'm uh, working on various things. One of them is connected with uh, an elevator shaft from, from the Chelsea Hotel. Because in my studio, there was a bathroom at which I had a window at the back of it, which was sealed, painted and sealed shut. as frosty glass. And one day, quite late into almost, you know, a year or so before I left it, I used scrape and, and, and open the window, which is on a, a swivel. And it was onto the lift shaft. And it was kind of scary looking out of it because you couldn't actually tell when the lift was coming up. It was, and it came up at a hell of a pace. And I was never sure if it would quite clear the window or not. But I did hang a a light outside it and have a, you know, do a few, fitted, did a few drawings, took about, about five Polaroids. What, 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 was it in, what was the intention of the window originally then? Ventilation? I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. But uh, it was pretty dangerous. <laughs> did other people have them? Could you see, if you looked out that window, could you see other floors with them? Or? No, no. How uh, weird. That's just like one of the mysteries of that hotel, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it was like, completely bonkers. And who, and who would have sealed it up then? Like, I guess the building superintendent would have been like, this is dangerous, we're going to seal I this up. I don't think they had building superintendents then, but <laughs> I, th I think they thought it was probably a bad idea to have a, a window opened onto the... To a lift shaft. Oh, I can't wait to see this. So where, where will we be able to see this body of work? Sounds fascinating. Uh, it's, it's, it's ongoing now. I'm, I'm searching for the perfect black. I should really talk to Anish Kapoor, who's, who's invented, uh, who patented... His own yes. black. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can we yeah. can we quickly talk about um, a painting which I really have loved since I first saw it in about 2020, which is called Quiet Rooms, and I think I saw it uh, when it was the pandemic, and it's a painting of like chandeliers that's kind of they're almost dancing themselves and then a woman solitary kind of sit, sitting alone on a chair but you don't see the front of her it's like a a side portrait of her in the right hand corner of the painting and I love that one so much how did that work come around come about because it kind of is so different in a way to some of the other things you, you're sort of best known for I I don't actually know how that happened you know uh there wasn't an intention to put a figure in that but I've been drawing this model who was really beautiful and very still and uh, you know she had this kind of mood about that and so I I kind of put her into this situation this fictional place which I quite same as the dancers you know it's, they're all fictions it's like a f movie movie mm. isn't real you know uh, unless it's a documentary uh, so she was there and it was something about her she had a kind of innate sadness to her. Mm. So I put her in there. It's now in the, I think it's in the British Embassy in Paris. Oh, right. I think, yeah. I was just really struck by the shapes of the chandeliers because it's almost like they become human. There, there's some kind of like dance, but within the the kind of jewel-like element of these chandeliers because they, they look like almost like diamond, you know, crystal, whatever you call it, uh, glass yeah. chandeliers. They're so gorgeous. Oh, that, that's, that's the thing that initially grabbed me about the, the chandeliers. They were in Soho House. The, the, ori the original chandeliers were in Soho House in, uh, in New York. Uh. They had six of them. And I made this little drawing of them. So 
I'll use that sometime. And uh, I saw him again, made another little drawing, and then didn't, didn't use it for about six years because I, I've taken about three years to make this painting. You know, so <laughs> You were saying then about uh, earlier on about a painting entering the Tate Collection and you're in the National Portrait Gallery. Do you have ambitions for other museum institutions that you would love to be part of their collections? I think every artist wants to be in, in the major collections if they can. It's more difficult for me. I have gender and age against me. <laughs> Do you, fi- you find that? You think that's a real thing? Do you find uh, that? I'm not grumbling about it. God knows white males have dominated for such a long time. Got it. Uh, <laughs> but, so, but, but every collect, you're like, I want to be in all the national collections. I'm of happy with I that. Of course I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's amazing. So we are going to go on to our final questions now, David. This has been really wonderful. The first one is, if you could do an art heist, you could have any artwork in the world for yourself, what would it be and why? Um, I've actually got two that I'm, I really love. Uh, one of them is uh, the Annunciation around 1443 by Fra Filippo Lippi, and it's in the Alta Pinakothek in, in Munich. And when I first saw it, I don't often, I'm, I don't often get teary in front of paintings, but it, it absolutely blew me away. And I'm not religious. And it, it was so gorgeous. And the second one I've made copies of, uh, I've never actually, I uh, found a model that, that to, is the, a satyr mourning over a nymph by Piero di Cosimo, which is in the National Gallery. And it is the most beautiful painting. It, it's so tender and it has dogs in it, yeah. Russ. Good, I'm there. <laughs> You've got me. I, a sat- I think, satire I, and a dog, I'm in it. I yeah. love it. <laughs> I love it. Have you ever traded work with other artists? And what, what like, artists have you hung out with? Have you, did you meet Warhol? Like I didn't meet... Warhol, oh my gosh, really, uh, not many. Uh, I mean, there were, there were, there were uh, Larry Rivers, met, met Larry mm-hmm. Rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, I like current artists like uh, Lindsay Mendick. And, uh, yes, of course. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, but you're talking about American uh, artists. Yeah, and did you ever trade? Like, was there a, everything where you barter for your, like, rent with a painting and did you trade with other artists? No, it was, uh, um, actually, it was always said that Stanley bartered, and he did with some, but not with not with us. Uh, right. He he would have, but we kept it. It's easier to keep it straight. We saw people like Arthur Miller. We saw quite regularly because wow. he he was a friend of Arnold Weinstein. He was in all the time. There was Patty Smith actually um, came around looking looking for, for her studio one day, day and and it, I'm pretty sure that. My studio was was where she and uh, Robert Maplethorpe lived. Rene Ricard, uh, who's a did w- work with with um, with Warhol. Uh, he was he was w- one of the very handsome young men, and he he's a, he was a great pal. Uh, Herbert Gentry, Abdullah Ibrahim from Dollar Brand, uh, Zal- Zaldi who uh, Zaldi go. Coco, who, who designed the clothes for uh, Michael Jackson. Uh, Drew Straub was a neighbor who actually moved to New York with Keith Haring. Richard Bernstein, who, di- who did all the, the you know, cover, you know, all of that. There were quite a, lot of, quite a lot of people. I don't even remember the names. Were that you know, in terms of your line, when you were like growing up and you were drawing and developing your own language as an artist, were there people that had kind of pushed you forward or uh, inspired you? Because even if I think of that Stella book, like, um, you know, Egon Schiele comes to mind uh, in terms of some of the positions of body shapes and things like that. But were, were there other people that inspired you? Yeah, when I, when I went to art school, just, just at that time, I became aware of these people. I wasn't previous to to that. Mm. Uh, Egon Schiele was never a real inspiration to me, uh, but I, I admired it immensely. But he wasn't. But there were there were plenty of other artists that did, but they were usually earlier earlier artists. I loved Daumier, the painter. Mm. 
he did uh, political cartoons, but he also, his painting is beautiful. His actual painting was, was the influence. He was uh, about the same time as Manet, perhaps. Pretty like mid-1800s now. Yes, yeah. Cool. The other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? That's so hard. You know, <laughs> if it was in nature, it would be that time when, when the, the, there's a sort of a darkish pale, blue and, and, and there's, a, there's a yellowy pink that creeps into and there's a kind of midish colour. But if you want tubes of paint, then I'm going to say it's between sap green, harding sap, harding sap green, mm. or or, oh, I, yeah. or um, cadmium red deep. I'll go for the cadmium red deep. And what is the brand then of paint that you use? Is there a certain brand that you're loyal yeah, to? Harding's, Harding's oil. I haven't because Winsor and Newton sold out. Uh, I haven't yet found a watercolor that, that suits me. Oh, so that they discontinued the watercolour that you liked? Yeah, I think they make it somewhere else and it's not the same. So interesting. But the, the Harding's oil paints you're happy with. So, so where do you get the... So Harding's also make the watercolours? They're starting to make watercolours and I haven't tried them yet. But I, w I will, surely. But you've still got enough left over from Windsor I, and Newton? I always need more. All your thousand sheets you've uh, cleared out. <laughs> Some poor artist somewhere else is going, there's no paper left. Someone's no, just no. bought a thousand oh, of them. No, no. Well, you know, they were there. They could have bought them. Yeah. <laughs> also, if anybody's got any tubes of that colour that you need, maybe yes, they can uh, send them in you. the post to yes. Kensington. <laughs> it, it actually goes hard, you know, because it hardens up sometimes in a tube. But, uh, you know, life goes, there's always another colour. There's not always another <laughs> manufacturer i'm sure what's the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art it actually comes from filippo lippi too and it's a line every day and it, he didn't mean coke <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing advice yeah from the, the chelsea hotel yes. what what um go on and explain that well it's draw every day basically that's it uh, when I, I got an honorary doctorate from lincoln university a few years ago, completely undeserved. Anyway, I got this thing in, and they they asked me to give a piece of advice to the students. I said, "Students don't want to hear advice from some poor person." But, however, I'll tell you two things that work for me. One is practice your whatever it is that you do every day. If you're a writer, write every day. If you're an artist, draw. Dancer, dance. You know, whatever it is. And the second thing is practice kindness. I found kindness to be the single most self-rewarding and rewarding to others that you can possibly imagine. I love that. When, when did that become something like of a mantra for you? Uh, when I grew up, which was probably in my 50s. Right. So in your 50s, you felt that kindness was a really, was an asset, really, that you could share. I'd had it before, but I've been, you know... <laughs> on my journey <laughs> well i mean that's something that i'm really you know be kind it's a it's a real uh, important thing whatever we're doing wh whoever's listening whatever whatever world you're in what about creating... being kind to me hun no apart from you <laughs> apart from you i'm not i'm not going to do the tango with you and i'm not going to be kind to you but uh no i will if you want to do so, a tango rob we can do it for everyone listening i am very excited because in 2025 there's going to be a big retrospective of yours at the beverly art gallery is that right yes it, there is going to be a, a, a retrospective it, it's going to be relatively you know it fit in the space there and I'm really, really chuffed about it. I love Beverly. It's a beautiful, beautiful little town. And uh, Yeah, it's East Riding. Of Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> to God's back, country. God's going, country. God's <laughs> own country. Going back to your roots. No, that's very, that's very exciting. Oh. Well, this has just been so wonderful. I'm, I'm glad we finally... Really glad, thrilled we finally got to connect with you and talk about this. And the Royal Academy Summer Exhibition uh, that we talked about earlier, that you chief coordinated, that is going on until the end of summer, which I guess is, do we I know an end date? I think it's probably a, a couple, got a couple more weeks to go. 
Oh, really? Is it only because we're in? Yeah, okay. So we're in the beginning of August now. So it goes right. until the twentieth of August. Okay. Ah, you see. Uh, right, 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 right. What is um? What is next for you apart from the Beverly? Are you working on other other exciting projects? Well, they're exciting to me. I'm 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 just longing. I've got loads of canvases ready to go. They're a nail to the wall. You know, I'm, I'm just oh. I'm out there. And people can find you on Instagram at David Renfrey RA. I believe so. Yes. And also you can go to davidrenfrey.com, which is an official website and it has links and also a really beautiful biography. And I love the portrait of you, actually. It was taken in the Chelsea Hotel and I think it was taken by Dudley Reed and it's actually become part of the natural National Portrait Gallery collection itself. Oh, <laughs> every day is a school day <laughs> and there's also some really wonderful books not only the one that i mentioned earlier about stella mccartney but there's we think the world of you the people which and is dogs. people and their dogs drawn together as a book and also one called dancers and if you search the internet you will find some beautiful books so i really recommend those too david it's been such an honor to speak to you and thank you for your generosity and just your collaborative spirit because I think you know you mean a lot to the artist community at large and um, you know I know you mentioned Lindsay Mendick earlier who's a good friend of mine and I know she adores you and it's so great the way you're giving encouragement to the next generation as well I think you're such a supportive I should, I should have mentioned others I should, I should have <laughs> <laughs> I mean oh there are so many all you've got to do is go to the Royal Academy show and you'll see them all because you've yeah. included lots of new voices. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. And, and the words of David Renfrey, practice kindness, everybody, and uh, we'll be back very soon. Practice Thank you, kindness, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from we'll be Rob. back very soon. <laughs> bye, David. Take care. Bye Thanks now. for listening. Bye, bye, bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.